had the opportunity this morning to be a part of communion with us. And so at this time now, the children from kindergarten through sixth grade would be dismissed for Children's Church. Look forward to the time that the children have together uh, with Miss Steph and Miss Mara downstairs. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you, whether a hard copy or on a phone or tablet or something, to open to the book of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 6. We had taken several weeks off for various reasons. We were away last week, um, had a couple of different special uh, services, and so we stopped for a, a short bit on this study of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, this idea of the kingdom counterculture. That the ways of the kingdom and what Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount of the ways of the kingdom are counter to the ways that our culture lives. And so today we talk about this topic of adultery and looking at it from the perspective of Jesus that it's deeper, his meaning is deeper than adultery. It's not just adultery. And so we're going to tackle this topic of sexuality and sexual purity this morning, one of those topics that the church doesn't always talk about, but the church needs to talk about. And so we want to talk about it this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Follow along as I would read God's word together. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. May the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his word. You no doubt probably have seen images of uh, what has happened as a result of the wildfires uh, in Canada and the way that smoke has blown down in the atmosphere. You, you may have felt it some if you have trouble breathing in any way, asthma over the last week or so. Uh, but where we used to live in a little town called Emporium, uh, here is the, a beautiful picture of Emporium. This is from an, uh, a, a lookout above, down into, down in the valley there is where the actual town is. And this is a normal clear day up in the mountains of Cameron County in way north central Pennsylvania. This was on June the 6th, Tuesday. You can see the town is down in there town is down in there. The mountains are up there, but it has gotten pretty foggy, cl uh, cloudy there with the, the fire smoke coming down. And this was on Tuesday. See, you can barely see anything out there. There is this lack of clarity this past week in a lot of places, whether you saw it on images like this or you saw it on the news or you felt it in some way in this past week. We looked at recently the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew chapter 5 verse 8 says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they 
will see God. I don't think I would be making too big of a statement to say we desire to see God. Amen? If you agree with that, we desire to see God. Amen? We desire to see him, and certainly there is this sense of seeing him as a reference to salvation through Jesus, that those who place their faith in him have this future hope of seeing him face to face. This is what we look forward to. This is what we celebrated, the work of Jesus in communion and on the cross, is that we look forward, as we look back, we look forward to one day we will be with him face to face. Blessed are the pure in heart. He makes us pure for they will see God. But I believe there's also a reference in this to the reality that we can have our spiritual eyes opened more and more to see God. The eyes of our hearts, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays that the eyes of your hearts would be opened that you might see the hope to which he has called you, that you might see the glory of Jesus, that you might know him better. And so there is this future, we will see him face to face, but there is this fellowship reality, there is this closeness with God reality, that as we live in purity of heart, we see God clearer and clearer in this life. And I believe it's our heart's desire that we would see God more. And so if purity of heart allows us to see God then it would make sense that impurity of heart can, like this, cloud our spiritual vision from being able to see God. In the world in which we live, one of the huge enemies to this purity of heart is the impurity of sexuality. It's all around us. And as we looked several weeks ago with murder, we, we tend to look at this idea and we look at it, the area of sexuality and purity of sexuality, and we say, I haven't done so, such and such, or I don't do such and such, or I'm not like those people who do such and such, who practice such and such in the area of sexuality. And we can be tempted to fall into this belief that we are morally superior and that sexual purity really is not an issue for us. It's everyone else. It's those outside of the church. It's those people. And meanwhile, it may be eating away at our soul. It may be clouding our vision to see God as he truly is. And we may not even know it. So a question right at the beginning of this message is simply this. Is it your desire to see God clearer and clearer? Is it your desire that the, the light and the glory of Christ would become more and more visible to you? Is it your desire that you would know him increasingly deeper and deeper and deeper? Is it your desire this morning? Is it what drives your passion? Is a hunger and thirst to know him what drives you? If it is, then I would encourage us to 
be serious about looking at this issue of sexual purity and to pursue it intensely. To do this, some sermon notes, if you want to take some notes with a few extras on the screen, to do this, we want to understand first what the intended meaning of what Jesus was talking about. He says in verse 27 again, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Jesus is affirming the fact fact that adultery is forbidden. Jesus is referencing Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, the seventh of the Ten Commandments, which says, you shall not commit adultery. And so what he is saying is, you've heard, you know, these were Jewish people who knew the law well. You have heard that it was said, and you know, do not commit adultery. And in doing so, what he is saying boils down to two things. He first is holding up God's ideal that is established in the Garden of Eden in Exodus chapter 2, where sex is between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. I know this is not what, this is where kingdom counterculture comes, because the culture does not say that sex is for one man and one woman in the context of marriage. But in Jesus affirming, you shall not commit adultery, he is affirming God's design for marriage. Later, as we study Matthew, in Matthew chapter 19, when he talks about divorce, he goes back to the garden as well, and he says, the reason divorce is not allowed is because God, his original intention was for a man and a woman to be together in marriage and that not to be broken. And so as he affirms that, he is affirming here that sexuality is to be practiced between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. This is his intention. He's also holding something else up. He's also holding up the prohibition of all other forms of sexuality outside of those confines. If he's affirming man and woman in marriage, he is then saying everything else outside of that is outside of the design of God and therefore is forbidden. So things like, at the very least, adultery. When a man and a woman are married, there should be no, he is forbidding sexual practice outside of that husband and wife relationship. Adultery. He's affirming that. But he's also saying, and prohibiting things like premarital sex, even if it's two people who are going to get married someday. It's not, oh, we're going to get married someday, so we might as well just have sex now. It's not sex with multiple partners. It's not hooking up or whatever the terms are today. He's forbidding sex with children. He's forbidding gay and lesbian sex. He is forbidding sex with animals, bestiality, and so on. Anything that you can get your mind around that the culture might throw at us as a way to practice sexuality, Jesus is forbidding here in this place. He is affirming the law and the wider teaching of Scripture, which is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were holding it at. They were saying it's just 
adultery. It's just the actual act of a husband and a wife outside of that. And so he goes further in saying this in verse 28. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. The intended meaning is adultery is forbidden and all of these sexual practices outside a husband and a wife relationship in the context of marriage is forbidden. But he says it's not just if you don't commit adultery. It's not just if you have sex within the context of a husband-wife relationship. He's saying lust in the heart before God is equal to adultery. He says that anyone who looks lustfully at a woman commits adultery with her in his heart. This would be in line with the 10th commandment, which is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, which says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Coveting is wanting what is not yours. And it, it's a desire that is closely linked to lust. It's a desire of the heart. It's closely connected to lust in this, in this concept here. To lust is to desire, to long for, or to seek things that are forbidden. To long for, to desire, or to seek things that are forbidden. So Jesus is saying that whatever we desire in our hearts that we lust after is akin or is equal to the physical act of sex with another in the eyes of God. Here's Jesus who was constantly accused of, you, you want to do away with the law. And he says, no, I didn't come to do away with it. I came to fulfill it and it's going to continue on. He comes after them and those who were accusing him, those who were saying, oh, you're doing away with it. He goes to them and says, the intention of the law is not just don't have sex outside of a husband-wife relationship and all those things. It's don't even commit lust. Look lustfully at another person in your heart. So what does this look like? What does this lust in the heart look like practically? I want to break it down into three different categories. The first is where we often think of when it comes to lust, and that is in the physical, the physical realm. I don't have to tell you that television shows, that movies, that magazines are just inundated with sexual messaging. It's all around us. I think about social media, and there may not be nudity, but there is a lot of suggestive kinds of posts. There are videos and reels and short videos and various social media aspects that there is not necessarily nudity, but it is all about sex. And it is, it's about, you know, lack of, you know, less and less clothing, all of these things. It is not about, oh, what's going on for fun 
fun uh, adventure. This is their sexual overtones in so many of these things. It's all around us. And things like pornography on the internet and movies and magazines, even books. Books are inundated with sexuality and the, the storylines. And video games. <laughs> A lot of video games have these sexual undertones to them or, or even things that, that are explicitly sexual in them. They are things that we usually see through our eyes that are processed by our minds that have the effect of arousing sexual desire towards another person in us. This is the, the lust physically. All these things, and, and you may be able to come up with others. If, we were, if I had a whiteboard up here, I could probably, you could probably throw other ones out there. Ways in which there are eyes that lead to our minds having thoughts that arouse desire for another person in us. Ways that these things are out there. Physical. What does lust in the heart look like practically? It's in the physical. In the through the eyes processed by our minds that arouse desire towards another person. There's two others. And these are ones that we don't often think about, but still are prevalent for us. The first is in the area of emotional. Lust does not just have to be physical. Lust can also be emotional. It usually flows from being in an emotionally needy place where someone listens to you, where someone supports you emotionally, and all of a sudden down the road you start having thoughts about that person and the way in which they are supporting you and finding yourself being emotionally connected to them. And maybe along the line there even comes these thoughts of like, whoa, where, where are these thoughts going? with this person because there is an emotional connection and all of a sudden, before you know it, you can imagine being emotionally connected and intimate with that person. It may have nothing to do with a physical thing, but there is a lust after that person emotionally, connection. And lust can happen in the heart that would look like adultery in the eyes of God just because of the emotional connection with another person outside of this husband-wife relationship. The third area is spiritual. Lust can be spiritual in desiring a person because of their love for God. Wow, I love the way they love God. And it draws there's brotherly, sisterly love, but there can actually be this spiritual thing that can take place. And here's when it usually happens. If you're married or not, with a person that you look at and you're like, I wish, if, it's your, if you're married, I wish my spouse listened to me like that on an emotional level. I wish my spouse would connect with me on a heart level like that person. I wish my spouse would love God like that person. I wish my spouse. Or if you're not married, like, boy, I really want to find a person who is like that. They listen to me. 
which is a good thing, right? Loving the way a person loves Jesus. Boy, I'm looking for a person who loves Jesus like that. And before you know it, rather than it just being this like, I'm connected to you, I'm a brother or sister in Christ, I thank you for your friendship, those kind of, all of a sudden, there's a heart desire in you that you're going, whoa, I really want there, there, there's, a, there's a longing, there's a desire for that person because of these things. You may say, I would never have this physical stuff. But I think more and more prevalent when, when we're not connected well to others or when there's something in a relationship that we have with a spouse that is lacking, it is so easy to become lustful after another person who fills and who gives us what another person should be giving us. Jake, can you give me a hand real quick? Can you grab that? So here's what happens. I usually walk in on a Sunday morning with something like this, and the worship team goes, oh no, what's he up to now? So over time, here's what happens with, with these ideas of, of lust. Something may start very gently. Something may start where it's not a big deal. One look at something on the internet. One book that we read that has a part of it. Maybe the, the larger story is good, but there's a, a section in that book and our mind goes towards it. Maybe there's a person that we have in our lives that they're just a good friend. Maybe they're of the opposite sex and they, they're feeding something in us that we didn't realize we need and all of a sudden our heart is beginning to be drawn towards that person. And after a while, these things, they start to, to fill up. They start to get fixed and throw cars around. But these things start to become stressors on us. Till at a point, they put so much stress on our soul that we break. And you may not act out in a, in a physical way. It may not be actual adultery. It may not be actually physical sexual output. But it may be in your heart and in your mind completely there. It may be emotionally or spiritually connected there. And, and the stresses, the more we allow those things in our lives, the stresses begin to push on our soul until breakthrough happens. And we find ourselves in a place that we never thought we would do before God or others. And all the while, that desire, I want to see God, I want to be pure in heart, if our focus is on all these things that are, are around us and all these temptations that are around us, our focus is not on God. Our focus is on those things and we're, we're running after those things and we're entertaining those things in our mind and, and we're thinking, when is the next part time I can have a conversation with that person? 
or we're in a quiet moment and all of a sudden that person pops into our mind and the way that, the way that they love God or the way that they said something about their relationship with God, and we're like, oh yeah. And, and before you know it, you're, you're, you're desiring that person. You're desiring that thing. And before you know it, in your heart, adultery has taken place before God. Now here's the good news in all of this. Before we look at what do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? We sang this morning, he still sees us. He sees all of our stuff. He sees all of our ugliness. And yet he still loves us. Friends, if you're this morning hearing this and going, oh man, there's some adultery stuff going on in my heart that I wasn't really even aware of. Or maybe you are aware of it and you're coming in this morning and you're going, oh man, I saw the title of this and I just want to like squirm out of here. Oh no, what do I do? We've been there, I've been there. Friends, the love of God welcomes us when we have our stuff. He doesn't say, how could you? He says, let's own it and come to me. I know, I know what you know. And I still love you. Come to me. There's forgiveness at the foot of the cross. There's forgiveness and repentance. There's the love of God. As we celebrate a communion, the, the blood of Christ will wash that fresh away. And our eyes will be clear in a way that we weren't clear before. And we will see God in a way that we haven't seen him before. So if you're hearing this and, and the spirit of God is stirring something like, oh, and you're realizing something, don't cause it to run away from him. May it be reason to run to him. But let's see what Jesus says in these last few moments together, what Jesus says about how to deal with it. What do we do with this? If we're finding this is true in our hearts, what do we do with it? Jesus' teaching is to deal ruthlessly with the roots of it, of sexual sin. Here's what he says, verses 29 to 30. Settle matter, or um, 29, if your right eye, I jumped up a paragraph, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go into hell. Jesus says, if your right eye, which is the strongest part, a Jewish hearer would have understood this to be the stronger of the two eyes, if your strongest eye, or if your right hand, which was considered in the Jewish world the dominant hand, if your right eye or your right hand causes you to sin, the things that are best, the things that are most valuable, the things that have the greatest worth, he says, then cut it off. That it would be better to lose a body part than to enter hell whole-bodied. Now, understand this. Jesus was a master at using hyperbole and metaphor that would make you go, whoa. He is not advocating mutilation. John Stott makes the point that third century scholar by the name of Origen of Alexandria took this passage so literally 
that he castrated himself and deprived himself completely of food so that he would not lust. The Council of Nicaea in 325, because of an act by one who was an influential scholar, (laughs) said, we need to make a statement about this. This is not what Jesus says. This is not what he means. Not mutilation. Don't follow what he is doing in that physical way because they didn't want others to do it as well. What Jesus is saying is not mutilation, but the other term for this is mortification. This is a big theological word, but all it simply means is this, that you go to kill the sinful desires in your flesh, and that you take whatever means is necessary to the desires of your heart that are sinful to make sure that they don't live. Paul says it in Romans 6, put to death whatever belongs to the flesh or the sinful nature. Kill that. The idea is that everything that we feed lives, but the things that we starve die. The things that we feed live, but the things that we starve die. So Jesus' point is this, to do anything, no matter how costly it may be, by seeking to starve out the things in our lives that are leading us to lust. What might this look like? If a television show or movie are leading you to come to places of lust, then don't watch that show. If TV in general, one article that I read, the author said, if TV in general leads you to places of lust, get rid of your TV. That may mean for some that if you have a streaming service, Netflix or Hulu or something that is leading you, the things that are on there, you find yourself going to and you find lust coming and, and building up in your heart, it may mean I cannot have that streaming service in my house or I'm gonna go down that road towards lust. No matter how hard I try, I'm gonna go down there eventually. I may have a couple days where I don't go there, but there's something in me that I'm gonna go after that thing eventually. But I wanna have that, I want this show and this show and this show. Those aren't bad, but I know eventually I'm gonna go to this show and this show and that show. It may mean this, ruthlessly dealing with it may mean I cancel Netflix or whatever my streaming service is. If internet pornography is the thing and you just find yourself going there, it may mean that you need to get a filter on your phone or on your computer that is going to block sites that aren't good. It may mean you get accountability software that sends a report to an accountability partner that says everywhere you've been. It may mean that. If social media and the content of the friends or the content that pops up on your social media feed is leading you towards lust, it may mean you're off social media. If your phone leads you to lust, 
It may mean you get that phone to an accountability partner who every day or every week is looking at it to see what's there. And if that's not working, it may mean that phone may need to find an alternative. There's a relationship with a person that you know is not good for your soul, that you cannot be in that relationship with that person because of a physical thing or because of an emotional or spiritual connection to that person. And you know, no matter what I do, it's going to be there. As hard as it may be, you may have to just say, I, I can't be in this relationship right now. It may mean finding a trusted friend and engage in a whole life confession that you say, here's all my stuff. Help me with it. Some of you may be listening to this and going, well, this sounds really legalistic, these steps. And I would say, if you're going to listen to me to tell you those things, then it's going to be legalistic. But if you get real with the Spirit, and the Spirit's like, you know what the only way out of this thing is, you're going to have to be intense about this. It's not legalistic anymore. The Spirit of God is telling you to do it. And some of you may listen to this and go, but I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss out on what my friends are doing on social media. I'm going to miss out on what everybody is talking about on this television show. Or I'm going to miss out on this movie that everybody says is the movie that I need to go see. Or I may miss out. I really have a good relationship. I like this person. I may miss out on this friendship with this person. I may miss out. I may miss out. I may miss out. I may miss out. Jesus' point is, yeah. You may miss out. Your right eye and your right hand, those are your best and your strongest. You may miss out in this life. You may not see with 100% vision in this life. You may miss out. You may be looked at as a weirdo. You may be in a, a group of friends and they're talking about something and you have no idea what they're talking about. And they may say, what are you? living? In, are you a hermit or a monk living in a hole somewhere? What's wrong with you? You may miss out. And Jesus says, you may. But he says, what's better? Live through this life maimed? Missing out? Or experiencing everything this world has to offer? And have lust in your heart and sexual stuff going on all over the place? And not see God in this life and in the next? That's the cost, he's saying. He's saying, what do you want to live for? Do you want to live for the moment here and experiencing life here? Or do you want to live for seeing God now and for eternity? That's why I ask at the beginning of the, the message, what is your heart's desire? Do you want to see God? Is it your passion to see him? If it's not, then most likely you're just going to say, you know what, God's pretty good. He's one of those things in my life, but I kind of like all the other things and I, I don't know I want to pay that price. And if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. But just hear that what God is saying, what Jesus is saying, is he is so supremely good in this life and for eternity that anything that this life has to offer that may feel good in our flesh, it is worthless. It is worthless in comparison. 
And maybe you're not there right now. And if you're not there right now, I would encourage you to really wrestle that out with the Lord. and Just say, Jesus, if these things look more attractive to me right now than you, I need to see you. And if that means, you know, I'm not even quite sure if that means that I give this stuff up to see you. I'm not even sure. But I want to figure out. I want to figure out if you're worth it. If what I hear about of Jesus is really who you are. And so if that's where you're at, hey, I've been there in my life. (laughs) I've been there in my life. The flesh will wrestle with me still where every times that I'm like, man, I've been, I've been seeing other things and, and my view of Jesus has come down. And Lord, I repent. And every time he welcomes me back and every time he say, well, what was I doing? What was I doing? You're way better than any of that other stuff. And it doesn't even have to be just about sex. It can be anything of this world, any kind of sin. You may miss out. but it's worth it. Close with this. When I was in college, we always had the friends who we hung out with, play basketball, you know, we'd go for hikes, go to all the sporting events at the school, you know, it was like the guys and the group of girls that you you were like, you're hanging out, like nothing's going to separate you from any of these people, like you're in there. And then all of a sudden, there's one of the guys, this girl pops up that's outside of the group, and all of a sudden, he becomes interested in her. And you're like, dude, where you been? We were playing basketball last night. Dude, where you been? We were going on a hike. Where were you? Oh, I was hanging out with... All of a sudden, that hanging out turns into their dating. And you know what all the guys are doing? Oh, man. She's got you under control. You're not even making decisions for yourself. You are so lame. And then another one would find a girl that they kind of thought was a little bit better than hanging out with the guys. And that guy would get, get the raw treatment. And he'd go, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? Until all of us pretty much found that woman and they're like, oh, hey, guys, you guys are good? But she's way better. I like spending time with her. I like spending time with you guys, but I like spending time with her. All of a sudden, the values changed. All of a sudden, you began to, to see someone of greater, I want to be with this person more than, guys, I know you're going to be mad, but I know you'll understand. And if that's the case when it's good relationships, how much more is it the case when it's sinful stuff in comparison to Jesus? So this morning as the worship team would come, I just would simply say if you have stuff that you want to pray with the Lord on, if there's some stuff you need to bring out of the darkness and into the light, if there's some stuff that needs to be eliminated from your life, not because I've said it, but because the Spirit of God is working on your heart. And it may be that thump, 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 thump in your heart. It may be that thing that's in your mind and you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. If it's there, 
Don't run away from it today. Deal with the Lord on it today. Bring another person that you can be accountable to and on it today. That your eyes would be opened to see Jesus more and more. So Spirit of the living God, we do ask that these words, that I simply offer them to you. Anything that's of me, from me, may it fall to the ground. But you're way, 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 way better at speaking than I am. You can take these things and apply them to our hearts. So I pray that you would. And God, I pray that we would have a view of Jesus this morning that would cause us not to run away from him if we're dealing with any of these areas, but would cause us to run to him to receive mercy and grace and forgiveness, to receive freedom. That anywhere where the enemy may even have a foothold in these areas of our lives, that the power would be broken as we confess and come into the light. God, I would pray against every spirit of condemnation and shame and every religious spirit that would say, don't admit it. Don't come out into the light. Hold it together. That the voice of Jesus would be louder. Holy Spirit, do your work in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.